It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. An investigation commissioned by the Southern Baptist Convention concluded that members of the group's executive committee responded with resistance, stonewalling, and even outright hostility to almost two decades of sexual abuse allegations against clergy. According to the report, they kept a secret running list of accused Baptist ministers to avoid being sued, even as the committee publicly claimed it didn't have the authority to create such a list. More than 400 people on it were believed to be affiliated with the SBC at some point. But the report quotes a May 9th, 2019 internal email where the SBC's then general counsel called the focus on sexual abuse, quote, a satanic scheme to completely distract us from evangelism. Every day is a struggle since I've come forward publicly. Hannah Kate Williams filed a lawsuit against the SBC on Friday, alleging that she was physically abused by her own father, a pastor, for years. She says it began when she was as young as four years old and turned into sexual abuse on her eighth birthday. But when she sought help from the SBC leadership, she says nothing ever happened. When I was kicked down, I was called a liar. I was called mentally deranged, incompetent an enemy of God. The report says the SBC used its system of granting churches autonomy to deflect accountability for local offenders. But allegations of abuse go up to the very top, including a sexual assault claim against former SBC president Johnny Hunt, which he denied in a Facebook post Sunday night. What, as a survivor, would you like to see change? I would like to see leaders taking the recommendations of outside experts not as attacks on their beliefs, but as tools to protect those in their care. All right, CBS reporting the latest on the Southern Baptist Convention. They are, by the way, getting ready to meet in Anaheim June 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th. So the report comes just in time to disrupt another convention. That's what occurred to me. Now, look, we have to be very careful how we talk about this. Uh, I feel pretty good license here as a female to talk about this because it's mostly, mostly reports of sexual abuse against women. Uh, And I have very strong feelings about this, but I also am a strong defender of uh, real followers of the Lord Jesus Christ trying to do what's right. Um, I think we have to be careful about confusing our sympathies for people with what's real and what isn't real, what's exaggerated and what isn't, what definitions really mean and what they don't. And so I want to, in this next hour, explore what exactly is happening here, what's real, what isn't real, what's behind the scenes, because as usual, things are never simple. So fasten your seatbelts. We're going to take a ride. And if you're not Southern Baptist, please don't, don't turn that dial, because 
if you have any interest in evangelicalism, isn't if even if you're a skeptic and you don't care about it, this will be this will be interesting. This will be fodder for your criticism. Uh, but if you are a member of any other body of Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us, regardless of dom- denomination. It's just that the Southern Baptist Convention is 13.7 million strong, so they're the largest evangelical denomination in the country. And what happens with them affects us all eventually. All right, so we have discussed this several times. Many of you will remember that. Uh, but uh, we're going to dig down a little bit with my good friend Rod Martin. Rod is the founder and CEO of Martin. Sorry, Martin, the Martin Organization. And you probably know about uh, Rod in a way that you don't imagine. He was uh, uh, the founder of uh, like a, the PayPal along with Peter Thiel. And uh, uh, he, that's how he made his fame. He's very much in the business community, very well known, highly respected. He's been called a guru of, uh, of uh, nonconformists. And uh, he also has served for years on the Southern Baptist Executive Committee. The Southern Baptist Executive Committee actually runs the uh, operations. They oversee the operations of that huge thing known as the Southern Baptist Convention. Rod stepped down about a year ago, uh, but he's following this closely, and I asked him to join me this morning to discuss it. Rod, good morning. Oh, good morning, Sandy, and I really appreciate you. You actually gave me too much of a promotion there a second ago. I was not a founder of PayPal, but I was one of the early team that helped start it, and I was a direct report to Peter Thiel, who was one of the six original founders. And that was an extraordinary, extraordinary chain of events that has been world-changing. But I have to say, as a former officer of the executive committee, the Southern Baptist Convention does a tremendous amount of good in the world uh, it, through a disparate range of entities. One of them my wife serves on the board of here in Florida, the Florida Baptist Children's Home. They serve an incredible number of people, not just in Florida, but around the world. And and while it is true that there needs to be a house cleaning of a, of a good number of people, no question about it, we must not lose sight of the core mission, which is the evangelization of the world and, and the service of, of people who need our help you know, through disaster relief and, and children's homes and, and all the different things that Southern Baptists do. So this affects a relatively small number of people. It, it, it's hundreds of people. There's no question about that. But a relatively small number of people compared to the 14 million Southern Baptists who are doing the Lord's work every single day. And I just want to say it has been an honor to get to serve those people. And uh, we need to clearly serve them better. But but it has been, uh, again, an honor and a privilege to get to serve those millions of people who are doing the right thing all the time. Yes, and let me just weigh in, Rod, uh, because I'm now back in a Southern Baptist church. I grew up in one. My parents came to Christ through the ministry of Southern Baptist churches. They're known for their evangelizing, telling others about Jesus. Uh, and I, there's a, so much to be proud of, Bible teaching and all the stuff that I learned and cut my teeth on that prepared me for what I'm doing now. I lay at the feet of, you know, sword drills and GAs and all of those great Bible studies we had in January when I was a kid growing up. Uh, Southern Baptists have done great work, as you said, and the mission board and all the other things that they com- are worth fighting for. Okay, they're worth fighting for. They really so that's, are. Yeah. So let's they talk really about— are, not least because—and I, I just want to insert there— not least because we have six Southern Baptist seminaries that educate a third of the seminary students in the United States. We only have 11% of America's churches, but we educate a third of America's seminary students. 
this is an enterprise that ta- that takes care of all of Christendom. It, it's really a central institution. It's important that we keep it pure. It's important that we get wrongdoers out, but it's important that we not throw out the baby with the bathwater. All right, I'm going to try to recap uh, as best I can, and then you feel free to correct me on the other side. My simple telling to set this up, uh, the report that this, that CBS just told us about a few minutes ago, came about, as I understand it, uh, when Russell Moore was head of the ERLC, there was a lot of moving toward, to my perspective, uh, the same cultural interests that, <clears throat> that were making headlines, like women's rights and sexual abuse and all of that. They became buzzwords in the last 20 years, I guess, in the country. And so there was a conference held where women in the SBC who had reported sexual abuse came forward and told their stories. And out of that, they formed this... Uh, uh, they formed an organization that was to reveal so-called offenders, some of them pastors, some of them lay leaders, uh, and people in the convention, the executive committee, which you served on, uh, according to uh, the, the, the accusers, did not do enough to stop that. So J.D. Greer was elected president, and he started this Caring Well initiative, which focused on these women who said they were abused. And at the convention last year, uh, a, a, a resolution was made that there would be a study of this. A guidepost solution was hired based in D.C. They've spent, well, I think you, this SBC has spent $4 million on this so far. So tell us more about that, Rod. Any gaps you want to fill in before you talk to me about that guidepost solution report? The report is is a mixed bag. Um, on the one hand, it finds some wrongdoing that I think is just horrifying. There is no question about that. On the other hand, it takes kind of an odd view of some of it. For instance, um, uh, the so-called database that was secretly kept uh, by EC staff. Um, I haven't seen that. That was kept from the members. (laughs) Actually, that's one of the things the report shows. Staff was doing a lot of things that they did not tell the members of the executive committee, and that's a hobby horse of mine for a long time now, as your listeners know. Staff is freelancing in a lot of our entities without accountability from the trustees who are elected to run those entities because the staff hides the real workings of a lot of this stuff from the trustees. That's a reform that must start taking place starting at the annual meeting in Anaheim, and I have been on that for years. Nevertheless, that database they're talking about is kind of a mischaracterization. What the report shows, the media didn't talk about it this way, but what the report shows is a couple of staff members kept press clips. These are not you know secrets that are hidden somewhere. These are things that were already published and known to the public, And they just kept clips of, oh, here's a story about a pastor who did something he shouldn't have done. Now, I don't know what they did with it, and the report is not clear to me on how they used that, but I keep press clips, you keep press clips, anybody who has Evernote on their computer keeps press clips. I'm not sure what the scandal is there. There are some people saying, well, they're supposed to publish a database. Well, they weren't supposed to. They didn't have authorization to do that. There were legal liability issues there that they hadn't sorted through. That's that's troubling in certain ways, I guess, but it's not a scandal. So, so some of the things that the report does 
are a little bit puzzling to me. They they look salacious once CBS or somebody gets hold of them, but actually they they look pretty standard fare. You know, like for instance, another thing, the lawyers are getting attacked really hard for advising the staff not to do things that would cause liability. Well, that's what you pay lawyers to do. I would add to that that it's up to the client to make the final decision. If the lawyer is telling you minimize liability and you know it's the wrong thing to do, it's up to the client to decide not to do that thing. But lawyer's job is to tell you how to stay out of trouble. So, uh, you know, some of the some of the charges being leveled at guys like uh, uh, Jim Gunther and Jamie Jordan are, are, are a little bit puzzling to me. They seem to have just been doing their job, and and now we're going to go back and say, well, they were trying to cover something up. I, I'm not sure that was true, but I think it's very clear that the EC did not respond to a number of things properly, and that is a systemic dysfunction. Staff has consistently, and I'm just quoting the report here, but it is my experience also as an officer of the executive committee in past years, Staff did not give us the tools to be able to deal with this. I'll tell you how bad it was, and then I'll hush. The Jennifer Lyle case is probably the most prominent case that comes up in this report. I spent the better part of a year trying to get the details from staff of just what what was in the settlement agreement we had signed with her for over a year. They actually lied to me about the nature of the agreement. And I have multiple witnesses of that. It's not just an allegation for me. They would not give us any details where we had paid her over a million dollars. And I couldn't even get the number. So so staff is running its own show, and that has to stop. Yeah, Rod, hold on just a second, because we have to take a break. Boy, how quickly that came. Uh, Rod Martin is my guest. He's a former member of the exe- former officer for the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, present when a lot of this started, and certainly very involved still. Also, we want to introduce to you someone else in the next segment, someone who's running for president of the Southern Baptist Convention, their upcoming convention. But we're not finished. We've just started this discussion on this report, and we certainly are not finished trying to trying to make what we can of it in an accurate way. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Let me welcome you to this important conversation we're about to have on sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. We've had an opportunity throughout the conference so far to hear from uh, some of our amazing speakers, but now we get to have a conversation about these important issues. And I want to introduce you to our panel. On the far side here is Ronnie Floyd, the president and CEO of the executive committee. And right next to him is the newly appointed associate VP for convention communications, Amy Whitfield. Uh, who's also going to be serving at the, at the executive committee. She's been with Southeastern Seminary for a long time. Uh, in the middle there is Beth Moore, author and speaker and founder of Living Proof Ministries and fellow Houstonian. And then J.D. Greer is sitting here next to me, uh, pastor at the Summit Church and president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I want to dive right in because there's so much to talk about when it comes to this. And J.D., I want to begin with you because one of the first things that you de- decided to do 
in your presidency, in that role as SPC president, was to appoint the Sexual Abuse Advisor Group and to take this issue on as one of your top priorities. Can you walk us through the background on how you decided to do that and some of the things that have been happening since then? Yeah, well, the backstory was as we were leading into the convention, um, you and I were talking and some members of the ERLC, and this was something that we knew was was brewing is something that it's, was, was way overdue having a conversation about and uh, knew it was time to take some pretty dramatic steps in addressing it. And so um, after I was elected, I think, if I remember correctly, you were the one that got up and asked if we could uh, um, appoint this. And so, um, you know, in, in when the convention approved it and the executive committee um, established it, we, we set about just to find not just people that, you know, were in our circles, but people that were known around the country as experts, whether it's in the, the legal fields or the pre- prevention, the, the care, those things, and just said, we want to hear, yes, from Southern Baptists, but not just Southern Baptists. We want to know what is what is the best way that we can provide protection for, for people. All right, so that's just a little clip of the ERE, uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission that was run by Russell Moore at that time. That's 2019, and that's the launch of the uh, Caring Well Initiative started by J.D. Greer. All right, so joining us now, it's not just Rod Martin now. Rod was on the Executive Committee, an officer on the Executive Committee for the Southern Baptist Convention. But joining us now is the gentleman who's running for president uh, this year. It's Pastor Tom Askell. Pa- uh, Tom is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. He was in Texas as a pastor a number of years before that, graduate of Southwestern Baptist. Uh, He's done so many things. He's taught as an adjunct professor of theology at various colleges around the country, including Reformed Theological Seminary, Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, and on we go. Also president of Founders Ministry and the Institute of Public Theology. Uh, he writes and lectures, and um, but if I keep going, we won't have time to talk, Tom. So thank you for all of your contributions. And I know that you're all over this report, too. Uh, uh, the report says, as I understand it, the report, again, which was put together by Guidepost Solutions out of D.C., which is a red flag to me, uh, says that um, there's a secret list of more than 700 abusive pastors uh, that have been accused of abuse. Can you respond to that? Well, yeah, this secret list, as Rod mentioned earlier, is something that was collated by one of the staffers simply by putting Google alerts out. For, and he got an email notification anytime there was a, a newspaper report or, or Internet report about a Baptist minister with uh, sex abuse charges. And he compiled that over a 10-year period, 703, I think, he got on the list. And then about 409 of those, if I recall right, were determined to be SBC affiliated, and then at the end of this 10-year period, only nine remained in active ministry, and I think two of those nine were Southern Baptists. So uh, the, the list wasn't a database, in my understanding, but it was a compilation of stories that had been made public that I don't know why they were keeping it there at the EC with the staff, but they did that. And of course, one story, uh, one occasion is, is horrific. Anybody that suffers this uh, is it's a horror story, but to, we need to be careful before we go from those kinds of uh, data points to the extrapolations that this is uh, something that is apocalyptic in nature. You know, I, well, I, um, I want to add something, Sandy. Sandy, yes, let sir. me stress something here that's so important. We had an incident in my own church. Now, it was before I joined the church, so I, I didn't have anything to do with it, but 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 about two years before I joined my church, 
they had a youth minister do something wrong, and it's so long ago I actually don't remember the details, but it was sexual in nature. Within minutes of church leadership knowing about the situation, the guy was in handcuffs. That's how you handle this. And so much of this report and so much of the reform initiative misses the bigger point that, honestly, I just keep scratching my head. Why are we not calling the police on these things? We want to have all of these structures in an SBC that, that honestly, I, I want the SBC to do whatever it can do, but it doesn't have subpoena power. It doesn't have arrest power. It can't put people on trial and send them to jail. We need to train pastors if they don't understand how to call the police. It's, it's simple, guys. 911. This is not rocket science. That's the right response to most of this. And I don't understand why that's getting shoved under the rug. Well, I think one thing we probably need to explain, because a lot of people are, are, have come from other denominations, Catholic heritage. Uh, most churches or denominations have a top-down structure. You know, your pastors are assigned, and there is control from the top, whether you're Episcopalian or Presbyterian or Methodist or, uh, you know, or Catholic. The Southern Baptist Convention is totally different than that. Each church is what they say, and is true, are autonomous. They run their own ship. They call their own pastor. They pay their own bills, and they cooperate. It's like the federal government was supposed to be, where we, you know, on national defense we cooperated, but on the rest of it we ran our own state. And that's the way the Southern Baptist Convention is set up. So what they're asking you, as I understand it, is to actually micromanage all the churches and all the personnel problems and all the sexual abuses in uh, uh, churches around the country. Can, uh, did I get that right, uh, Tom, Pastor Tom? Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. Uh, every church in the SBC is an autonomous, independent church, and the association is voluntary. And the SBC, as a convention, is also autonomous. And so the SBC can remove churches from the convention, but they can't discipline churches. And some of the proposals seem to have at least an overture of that type of uh, top-down oversight that autonomous churches just don't allow. Now, that doesn't mean that we turn and look the other way. Not at all. What this report reveals is what we have known, some of us have known for a long time, is that our churches need to be biblically ordered. And we've, we've dropped the ball significantly in the Southern Baptist Convention on this very point. We claim to believe in a regenerate church membership. That is, a person has to have a credible profession of faith to be a part of our church. They have to be willing to follow Christ. And if they're not willing to do that, then we correct them, as Matthew 18 says we must do if we're going to obey Jesus' words. And if they refuse to be corrected, then we remove them from membership. And that obviously has not happened because we've seen churches with uh, lots and lots of people on their church roll that can't give any account to the, the membership that they even exist anymore, much less that they're following Christ in active obedience to his commandments. So if you have a well-ordered church, what Rod just described would happen. A person commits a sin, he will be dealt with by the church. If a person commits a crime, the church or whoever's involved will call the police. And here's another very significant point that Southern Baptists have lost over the years, is we've got to distinguish between sins and crimes. God has ordained authority in the state to handle crimes. He's ordained authority in the church to handle sins. The church is not equipped to adjudicate crimes, and the state is not equipped to adjudicate sins. The church has the sword of the Spirit to deal with sins. The, ch the state 
has the sword put in its hand to punish evildoers, according to Romans 13. Some sins are crimes, and crimes are sins, in which case, call the police, let the state do its job, and deal with the sin inside the church. If we would get that much straight and teach our people, whenever anyone is committing a crime, call the police, and wherever there's unrepentant sin, get the church involved according to the instructions of the New Testament, uh, a lot of these issues would have been dealt with on a local church basis. But our churches need to be biblically restored under the Lordship of Christ to take His Word seriously and to live the way He's told us to live. Wow. That's profound. I love well, that. Sandy, yes, sir. And Sandy, I want to jump in right there just to say, I'm not attacking the recommendations of the report in some broad brush way, or even the report itself. I think a lot of this report is great. I think a lot of the recommendations make a lot of sense. For instance, they recommend that the executive committee set aside a budget and hire a salaried staff person for the credentials committee. That's absolutely needed. They recommend that IMB, NAM, and the six seminaries require formal preparation for their denominational workers and students in regard to prevention, training, and survivor care. I personally recommended to Guidepost that they do that. They're talking about a database of offenders. I think that's probably a good idea with the caveat that they need trained people who actually know how to run it, both legally and technically, and a budget to do it, which the executive committee does not have right now. All of those things are good. They have some recommendations I think would be foolish, honestly. This idea of a permanent fund out of cooperative program dollars that would be administered by, get this, a special master under no authority, of uh, in a, any ecclesial authority at all, that's crazy to me, and it has all kinds of legal issues to it. But the real bottom line here is what, what Tom just said. Sins are taken care of at the church level. There is zero authority and zero capability for any part of the SBC to have any authority over a local church. They're all voluntarily here. You start asserting authority over them, they will just leave. We literally do not own them. We don't control them. That's not how the SBC works at all. It's a voluntary association of churches. Churches have the right to discipline sinners, but churches also have the duty to call the police. And if they're not doing mm -hmm. that, and by the way, most of them are. Now, when we're talking about, I think Tom cited 409 SBC uh, personnel on that on that secret database. Well, it's not a secret because every one of those was publicly reported. That's how it got in the press clip list that that the staff member was keeping. But four hundred nine out of fourteen million. It's a very small number compared to the whole. It is vastly too large for me to be happy about. Of course, those people need to be dealt with. But only two of them are anywhere still in ministry. The churches that still have them in ministry should probably be disfellowshipped from the Southern Baptist Convention. The problem is that wouldn't actually get them out of ministry, and that's the only power the SBC has over them. Those churches need to be calling law enforcement. That's yeah. the biggest part of the solution. Yeah, but let me just add something else. Uh, I can say this and you guys can't, but I want to say this. Uh, when it comes to sex abuse, the definition of that is so loose and frightening because, yes, women are harmed by sexual abuse, by rape, by unwanted advances 
But unwanted advances that are flirtatious are often called sexual abuse. They may be inappropriate, but they're not criminal. And so um, I would say that women are devastated by real sexual abuse. But men are devastated by careless accusations. And that's why I think lists are dangerous, personally. I think it's really Mm. risky because it's another person's opinion of where the line was. And so, um, and by the way, I just read, you guys I'm sure have seen this, but this just came, I'm not sure what the outlet was, but uh, Fred Jackson, our newsman, sent this to me. Uh, Top administrative leaders for the Southern Baptist Convention uh, said Tuesday that they will release the secret list of hundreds of pastors and other church-affiliated personnel accused of sexual abuse. That sounds very careless and dangerous to me. I would like to know your thoughts about that, uh, Pastor Tom. Yeah, well, my understanding is the list that they're going to release is this one that was kept from public records. And so I don't think there's a secret list unless I missed that somewhere in the report. The 703 number, 409 of which were Southern Baptists, uh, that was all combined or collated from these uh, Google alerts that were set up to scan the Internet. And uh, then whenever there was an alert that would come in, the uh, staff member would just save that. So I don't think there's going to be any um, big revelation here that was not already accessible. What what might be dramatic is the fact that these names will be listed out in one place at one time. So I'm not anticipating anything uh, significant from that revelation. Well, I guess and by I the can... way, that number is very similar to the number that was in the Houston Chronicle story several years ago. They found about 700 allegations around the country, some percentage of which were actual cases. And this number sounds almost identical to that. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose, you know, I have in my hand, I'm sure you guys saw the Christianity Today article on this. It's 12 pages long. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to say, I have a, I confess, I have a prejudice toward this article already, because I know Russell Moore has gone to be on staff there, and I have a a real strong dislike for what he's done at the SBC, so I'm not objective. But as I read this 12-page article, it sounds like a vendetta. It mentions all of these people. It talks about all these things that are not really necessary, kind of um, like someone, uh, let's see, hung out with Ravi Zacharias, one of the pastors. with That's one of the accusations. It's very careless. And so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things at play here that are unhealthy, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to sort this out, and, and I hope, hopefully, with God's help, we're doing that. Uh, my guests are Rod Martin, who is on has been uh, for years on the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, and Pastor Tom Askell, who is the pastor of Grace Baptist in Cape Coral, Florida, who's running to be the the uh, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So when we return. Gentlemen, let's talk about the upcoming convention. And uh, Pastor Haskell, let's talk about (laughs) what plans you might have and how you might sort all this out. We'll do that when we return. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The 2022 SBC annual meeting will be the first time in more than 40 years at Southern Baptist have held our annual meeting in the great state of California. After the largest crowd we've seen in a generation last year in Nashville, 
We want to invite you to join us here in Anaheim, California on June 12th through 15th of 2022. We are so excited about this opportunity to join together with messengers from around the country and across our convention as we come together to celebrate what God has done as we cooperate together for the Great Commission. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. We're talking about the Southern Baptist Convention this morning, but of course, it affects all of you, certainly, that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because the SBC is such a big denomination, and they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and because they do train, as Rod said earlier, a third of all seminary seminarians in this country, and even all over the world, people come to Southern Baptist seminaries. So it matters what happens. Nobody wants to see the Southern Baptist Convention implode. And as a you know, person who was in the convention as a kid uh, and watching it, just there was always a war because Southern Baptists were hardcore on Scripture. They were unapologetic. They were firebrand preachers, and they preached the Word of God, and that was offensive. And so in came a counter-movement. I remember this well in the 60s and 70s, to try to undermine that. And uh, for a time, they sort of carried away the seminary teaching and also the pulp, they affected who was in the pulpits. Uh, and then there was a, like a conservative resurgence. And now, I think, with the effect, uh, the influence of Russell Moore, I blame, maybe I shouldn't take as, give as much blame as I do to him, but a lot of it to him. As the head of the ERLC, the drift has gone to the left again, and all of us are very concerned about this. The convention is coming up in Anaheim, and Rod Martin, tell us why it's important, what's at stake here, and uh, if people could still go, and why, why should they want to do that? They should go. It's vital. You know, we're talking about the voluntary nature of the SBC. Well, why is that? I'll tell you why. Because Baptist churches are not even really part of a denomination in a sense. What we have is some joint projects. Now, those joint projects are worth billions of dollars. It's six seminaries that educate a third of the seminary students in the country. It's the largest missionary force in evangelical Christendom. It's all kinds of things that deeply matter and that affect the entire world. And what we do through the cooperative program, basically, we pool money to do things that we can do better together. It's not a hierarchy that's top-down. It's a bunch of joint projects that 50,000 churches do together. And the way we govern that is through sending messengers from churches to the annual meeting, which, by the way, obviously is annual. Every single year we gather together to set the direction for the SBC and the money that we spend together, that people voluntarily give together to send out those missionaries and train those pastors and do all the good works that we do with disaster relief and children's homes and all the things. So, so when we set that on autopilot by not participating in the stewardship mission that God has called us to do, guess what happens? Those same staffs that the, the guidepost report shows have hijacked the process and are actually keeping crucial information, even from the trustees set over them, are left to just set the direction. They get to do whatever they want to do. And the truth is, we need to go to Anaheim to change the direction. We need to go to Anaheim to elect a president who will appoint trustees who will be more responsive to this problem, who will actually set a new tone with those staffs and force them to be accountable, and will actually serve all Southern Baptists. So I'm asking everybody to go to Anaheim 
June 12, 13, 14, 15, to change the direction, elect Tom Astle, Bodie Bauckham to be president of the Pastors Conference, guys like Javier Chavez to be recording secretary, so we can change the direction and fix the Southern Baptist Convention for all Christians. Absolutely. For the sake of the gospel, I would say. Bodie Bauckham, by the way, is going to join me next week, so we'll have more discussion about this. But um, this is very complicated. I remember last year, Rod, uh, we talked about the convention, and you you um, had—Mike Stone was the conservative pick, and there was a lot of shenanigans that went on, and it turned out Ed Lytton got uh, elected— a lot of the delegates left, and uh, something happened with the voting, and so it was just a mess. So uh, how do you think people are anticipating this particular, as they, as delegates who are, are um, messengers, who are actually a real regular part of this, are they, you think they're dreading this? Are they looking forward to being able to make a change? What's the mood? I think the mood is very, very serious. You know, on the one side, there are people who, uh, uh, let's call it three sides. There is a side that is desperate to protect the status quo, and they are they are perhaps politicizing the sex abuse task force report to demonize their political opponents. I have no interest in that. I want rid of the sex abusers. I want to fix the systemic problems that allowed any cover-ups. I want to change the direction. There's a middle group that, you know, they've just involved. They don't really have a side, per se. They are absolutely... Uh, people who just are concerned about the future of the convention, we we encourage them to come and, and listen, but listen carefully, because we saw in Nashville that there was a lot of demagoguery from the platform, honestly, and, and there was a lot of manipulation by some very specific people. So, so we encourage them to listen really carefully and think carefully about what they're doing. And then there are the people who are coming out of the woodwork from all over the country to help us change the direction, who are really concerned about where the Southern Baptist Convention is going. This sex abuse task force report clearly shows we have systemic problems in the staffs of the entities, but in addition, we have critical race theory being taught in seminaries. We have we have one seminary vice president who was on a podcast where he is actually uh, lauding James Cone, the father of black liberation theology. He was quoted in a New York Times story saying outright that he just lies about what he believes to white people. I mean, it's horrifying, and it's in black and white in the New York Times. We have a lot of problems where this convention is being moved by a handful of people dramatically to the left at rapid speed, and messengers have to come from our churches and change the direction. Pastor Tom Askell, why would, you know, I know that you're going to run for president, uh, but that's that's a big thing to take on. Why would you want to do that? Well, uh, I was persuaded to do it, Sandy. It's uh, not anything I've ever aspired to. People have talked to me about it for years and asked, and I've just never had uh, any serious interest. But over the last few months, especially, I guess, January, February of this year, I've had men I respect who prevailed upon me. And uh, we have elders in our church that lead the church. And when we first proposed it to them, what I was hearing from other people outside the church, the elders all said, no, uh, we, we have some wonderful things going on in the church, but it demands a lot of time and attention. And they didn't think we should be distracted with this. But uh, after uh, sitting down and, and listening and thinking about it more carefully from people outside our church, we gave ourselves a week to pray about it. And I was completely content to do whatever they said. 
And one by one, they all came back to the next meeting without consulting with each other and say, they all agreed, we believe God would have you do this. And my wife was in agreement, so um, that was good enough for me to believe this was what God was doing and where he wanted me to go. I don't know if he wants me to be president or not. We'll, we'll see if he does that. But I do believe that uh, this process is a legitimate one, and uh, as Rod has said many times, this is worth fighting for. Uh, I love the Southern Baptist Convention. It matters. It's not the most important thing in my life. Uh, my ministry here at the church, in terms of my ministerial energies, that's what is going to be number one for me. But because the Southern Baptist Convention matters and we're a part of it, I want to see it healthy. I don't want to see it become uh, increasingly in the hands of those that would do evil, because the Southern Baptist Convention is not going away. If all the good churches leave tomorrow, it will continue on for a generation or more. And it will become just like the PCUSA and United Methodist Church, where it will be uh, an instrument for great damage spiritually in this nation and around the world. But if, by God's grace, we're able to change the direction and get things on a better course, it can be what it has been for many years, an instrument of great good for spiritual health, not only for this nation, but around the world, because we send missionaries and we export what we are doing, what we believe, what we're committed to from this country to other countries in the world. So for all those reasons, um, it's been worth the inconvenience and the extra energy and time that is involved. And if God puts me in that position, I want to do the best I can to serve well, to call for the kind of changes that we need, uh, to call spiritually for what we desperately need, which number one on my list is we need to return to a fear of God. I, I don't think we have one problem in the SBC that a genuine, humble return to fearing God wouldn't solve. And my fear is that uh, we have lost that, and if we continue on without it, then we will we'll go down bad trails very rapidly. So that's my hope. That's what I'm willing to do. And I can say this, that if I am elected, it will be an act of God. Uh, that, that's going to be there, and I'll accept it as that. You know, I have to tell you, um, I've been in two Southern Baptist churches in the last 10 years. Uh, yeah, I can say it that way. And uh, the, the, uh, my, our church in uh, Virginia was just on fire. The people mm. are on fire for Jesus. And the church I'm in right now, they're on fire for Jesus. God is at work. And his people. So I want to encourage you. I know that some churches are dead, and maybe they've been there too long, and they're too sedentary, but the two I've been part of are just working organisms alive with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, yeah, so uh, the other thing that, that you guys encourage me with is, you know, uh, I don't need to tell you that it's really hard for men to be men in this culture. And the fight that you guys are waging is like of the stuff of David's mighty men. You know, men, men of pastors sometimes are just too nice. I have a thing about being nice. I don't think that's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, this, it's time to fight, and you guys have to fight, and I know that you are, and that's encouraging. Um, so, Rod, there was one more thing I wanted to ask you about. You had something else that we didn't get to about this Caring Well ministry that was started by, um, by J.D. Greer. What, what were you going to say about that? Um. <laughs> That's a good question. Now I don't remember, but what but what I will say is this report is a really good start, and I'm grateful for the work they did. I don't I, I know of factual errors in the report. Uh, I, there's one rather glaring one in particular where 
Uh, I've seen the evidence that it's 180 degrees wrong, and I, I think that'll be addressed in the near future. What I want to stress is there's a legal process for all of this, and it's rooted in the Bible. The Bible demands due process. We can't just accuse somebody of something and they're automatically guilty. The Me Too movement did that with, you know, believe all women. But the truth is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, everybody has to be questioned, and we're losing that in the emotion of all of this. The truth is, there, there is nobody, nobody who is worthy of the grace Jesus Christ gives, which means we actually have to have protections both for the victims and for the accused, because sometimes the accused just aren't guilty. And I stress, there's one thing in particular I'm personally aware of in their court, didn't have anything to do with me. It is clearly false. And there was no opportunity in this investigation for anyone who was accused of anything to know the identity of their accuser, to cross-examine, to do anything really to defend themselves at all. And that's not a standard that anybody would want to live under. Some some third-party investigator who, who may not even be a Christian is going to hold the church in judgment. Do you not know that you will sit in judgment of angels? I mean, we are, we are violating 1 Corinthians 6 through, you know, in the very spirit of this process, honestly. There, there are just a lot of things wrong with it. There are a lot of things right, but we need to get back to a biblical standard that we actually require, you know, to convict people, two witnesses or more. We actually need some standard of process that's fair to everyone involved. And I, and I can't stress enough, we're going to get bad results as long as we step outside God's revealed standards for how we conduct these things. So we need yes. to get back to one, call the police if there's something wrong, for heaven's sake. But within the church, we actually need to operate by some reasonable standard of due process and due or we'll process. destroy the church. I love it. I love this. I love this. This is everything we prayed for, that this uh, segment would be uh, Rod Martin and Pastor Tom Askell, who's running for president. I appreciate the wisdom that both of you have shared, and hopefully we've done some good here. Don't forget that the convention is coming up in Anaheim in June, and so go to the SBC uh, 2022 convention and be a part of that. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.